I had already had a Discovery flight in a small old Cessna 172, I think a 1970, 69 or 1970 Cessna 172, and it was like flying in a ratty old Volkswagen on every level, and I was quite surprised that that was what I was going to be learning in. Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. My first lesson in flight school was about three years ago as of the recording of this podcast. I'm not sure when you're going to be listening to this, so maybe it's four years ago or maybe it's three and a half years ago. I had already had a Discovery flight in a small old Cessna 172, I think a 1970, 69 or 1970 Cessna 172, and it was like flying in a ratty old Volkswagen on every level, and I was quite surprised that that was what I was going to be learning in. But it was fun to be up in the air, fun to fly a little bit, and I decided I was going to go ahead and commit myself to flight school. So a week later, I went up for my first actual lesson. My instructor's name was Aaron at the time, great instructor. As we were flying along over the practice area, which is what it's called, which is out south and west of Bremerton, Washington, out toward the Olympic Peninsula, where we're flying over some absolutely beautiful territory and looking to the west at the Olympics as they rise above the elevation of our flight, just absolutely beautiful. Aaron began to teach me some stalls. Of course, having not flown before in a small private plane, the word stall meant death to me. (laughs) So we're going to practice stalls. I thought, I don't want to stall. Stalls are not good. And of course, they teach us how to practice stalls so that we can recognize them and not go into stalls. And if we do inadvertently go into a stall, they teach us how to recover fairly quickly from the stall. Well, the second or third stall we were practicing, I took Aaron's instructions quite literally about how to recover from the stall and inadvertently put the airplane into a spin. If you are a private pilot or even a commercial pilot and you've had this kind of training, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, imagine you're flying along slow and it's a beautiful sunny day and and in about two or three seconds, you're looking down at the forests of cedar trees racing up at your face. (laughs) Now, we were up at about 3,500 feet, maybe 4,500 feet lots of time to recover from a spin, but it sure didn't feel that way. The airplane literally dove for the ground and started spinning counterclockwise. Aaron said, my controls took the controls from me. I took my hands off of the controls, took my feet off the rudders, and opened my eyes and my mouth as far as they would go, pushed myself back into the seat, all that in one and a half seconds, and Aaron recovered from the spin pretty quickly. I think it was probably the only time I ever heard Aaron curse out loud. (laughs) I say 
out loud because I'm certain that I caused him in all the lessons that he gave me to curse inwardly a few times, although he never really showed it. It was quite the adventure that just lasted a few seconds. And then Aaron said, okay, we're going to teach you how to recover from a spin. And I said, can we do that in our next lesson? Because by now I am a bit nauseated. (laughs) I had not taught my body how to be up in the air and spinning around and doing stall recovery and all of that yet. So my inner ear was not used to near-death experiences. (laughs) I wish you could see me here in the studio when I said near-death. I did air quotes. Near-death experiences. Anyway, so as time went on, I learned that there's a way to recover from a spin. The best thing to do is not ever get into it, right? But if you do get into a spin, the way to recover from a spin is completely counterintuitive. It is backwards. It feels like I'm doing the wrong thing when I'm working to recover from a spin. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Every really effective leader or supervisor or manager, every effective influencer of people who's been able to work hard with others to create a new future thinks backwards from most people around them. I want to talk with you about the seven examples of how you and I, as effective leaders and influencers of people, think backwards. Our thoughts to other people seem counterintuitive, just like what we're supposed to do when we go into a spin in a small plane. It seems counterintuitive. Let me illustrate this then. How do you recover from a spin? There's an acronym that all aviators know called PAIR, P-A-R. R-E. This is how you get out of a spin. Imagine the airplane is now nosing down and accelerating and spinning, like in the case of my experience, to the left. And it happens fairly quickly. The first thing is the letter P, power to idle. Pull that throttle out so that the airplane doesn't continue to accelerate toward the ground. Then the second thing is you put the ailerons to neutral. Here is so counterintuitive because in any other stall experience, you want to give it more power if you can if you begin to stall without a spin, you give the airplane more power, not less. But in a spin, you want to pull the power out and then you want to put the ailerons to neutral. The intuition that you would have, even if you'd never flown for more than 13 seconds, was to turn the ailerons away from the direction of the spin. But you don't want to do that. You want to put the ailerons to neutral. And then the R in pair is you put the rudder in opposite of the spin. So in this case, I was spinning to the left. I put the rudder in to the right. And then the E in pair is elevator forward. That's the yoke. You push the yoke forward. So counterintuitive. Here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to put more power in and I wanted to tip the ailerons in the opposite direction of the spin and I wanted to pull the yoke back because I was heading into the ground and so get the nose up. Those are my intuitive responses. But to recover from a spin, we learn these counterintuitive approaches. That is just an illustration. You may never fly a small plane you may be listening to this thinking, well, I was thinking about flying a small plane, but I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> well, this is kind of a fun way to think. Now, this illustrates the point I want to be able to make today in our brief conversation. And that is that as leaders, you and I often think backwards, counterintuitively from people around us. And that can create a little bit of a disconnect when we are communicating how we think or what we're going to do or what matters to us. People can look at us and turn their heads 
sideways, almost like that old dog on the old RCA commercial, that little white dog with the black spots that would tip his head sideways. Like, what is that noise coming out of your face? (laughs) Well, this may describe you. Let me walk you through the seven different ways that you may be thinking that to you are now very intuitive, but to other people are counterintuitive. My suggestion is that because you think this way, you are set up to be incredibly effective as a leader. Here's the first way that leaders think backwards. We think backwards about time. That is, we think from the future back to today. We have a result or or a goal or something we're trying to achieve that is more important to us in the future than today is. So we value the future more than the present. We think of the result we're trying to achieve, the goal we're trying to achieve, and that is so valuable to us and so important to us that we invest in it. So we think backwards about time. That has all sorts of implications. If you're a person who is always thinking from the future back to today, that it is actually more compelling to you than this moment is, than today is. So you think backwards about time. In fact, I've long believed that this is at the heart and core of every effective leader. We think backwards about time. The second way we think backwards is what I've mentioned many times in our conversations in the past, that we choose adventure over comfort. And we know that by doing so, we're going to be more effective. And I mean that whenever we can see the decision now, we will make the decision now to invest in an adventure. That is, to create something, to build something, to make something worthwhile over our own personal comfort. Instead of coming home and sitting down and putting our feet up and staring at the television all day long, which is very comfortable at the end of a week, for example, we use our time right now in a less comfortable way so that we can achieve some sort of adventure later. Now, adventure might not be the word that you use, but it's the word that I use. All right, so that's our second way we think backwards. Most people, when given the choice, will pick comfort over adventure. That leads to the third way that we think backwards. The reason that people pick comfort over adventure is because they think they deserve it. And I'm not going to argue with them, except that that's not how leaders think. We do not walk around thinking, oh, I deserve this, and I deserve that, and I've put in my time, and I've paid my dues, and I've risen to the lofty heights of the organization, and so you need to serve me. We don't have Cartman's voice in our head. You will respect my authority. (laughs) We actually think the other way around. I don't deserve I serve. And the further back in the organization we go, or up if that's how you think about it, or the greater our arenas of responsibility are, the more we feel the need to serve. That is the third way that we think backwards. And the fourth way our thought process seemed to be backwards or counterintuitive is we don't feel like we have a lot of control. If you would look at somebody from the outside in a complex or sophisticated organization, and maybe you're in that situation, facing a bunch of complex and sophisticated challenges and you're being successful, if you'd look at someone from the outside like that, you may think they have lots of control, that they snap their fingers and clap their hands and people just do what they want, and that the resources of their experiences or of their organization 
organization or of the position of their influence causes them to have greater and greater control. In fact, it's the other way around. We know the reverse of that is true. We have less and less control as time goes on. We know we have very limited amount of control, and it's usually only over ourselves. And therefore, what we want is influence. We want to be able to create influence, and that influence may be slow and may be subtle and may take a long time, so I may do something now to gain influence. That's why we serve, so that we can influence the direction we need to go. That's why we pick adventure over comfort, so we can influence. And it takes a while. And again, that takes us back to our core backwards way of thinking. Or like my Uncle Marv used to say, that is back assward. <laughs> the fifth way we think backwards, we think that saying no is much more valuable than it looks. When we say no, it's good because that's what leads us to say yes. We understand that whenever there's something important that needs to happen, a great big yes, that it has to be surrounded by a whole bunch of no's. If I say yes to this, it means I'm going to say no to something that's going to take me off track. And that saying no is a good thing. And this permeates every part of our soul even. And it's a discipline that you cannot say yes if you don't say no to a whole bunch of things around it. So we don't think of saying no as bad. Oh, I'm depriving myself. Or I'm missing out. Oh, poor me. That's not how we think. We think of saying no as good because it enables us to take that distracting time or energy or money that we would have spent on that thing that we're saying no to and focus it even more on the thing we're saying yes to. So we think backwards about no. No is good. <laughs> no leads to yes. The sixth way we think backwards is around risk. I don't hear this so much anymore. Maybe it's because of the type of people that are around me now and the folks I surround myself with. But way back in the day, I used to have people say to me, I can't believe you're doing that. You're starting that business. You're going to go work for yourself instead of for the federal government or for some other organization. Can't believe you're doing that. How? That is just not secure. You don't have security whenever you do that. You must be somebody who loves taking risk, they would say to me. I used to hear that a lot. But we think backwards around risk. We believe that that calculated and careful and thoughtful risk where we invest our time and energy is not a risk that people who are pursuing security over risk end up having less security than folks who take chances and invest, but not wild-eyed chances. It's not casino kind of chances. The best way to be secure, we think, is to take calculated risks. And here's number seven. Here's the seventh way that we think backwards. It is quite significant. We think backwards about motivation, passion, emotion. Most folks sit around and wait and hope that their passion, their emotion, their motivation, which is kind of a sloppy word, will build and build and build and it will be enough like static electricity and will shock them and move them into action. In fact, most folks live their lives that way. They will say to themselves, I'll do it when I feel like it or I feel like doing this and not that. So they're using their internal limbic system as their main engine. That's not how we think. If we're going to be effective as leaders, if we're going to have great influence and be successful as leaders, we understand that action comes first. The motivation, the passion, the feeling, even the understanding to a large degree follows 
action. Act first. We just move. Now, it's not in some random way, obviously, because we are future-focused, because we are result-focused, so we're moving in a direction. We know and we can recount thousands upon thousands of little experiences that we have had where we didn't feel like it, but we started moving, and then the feelings changed. (laughs) I'm going to sit here and find my passion. Okay, you're never going to find it. Move in a direction, and it's easier to learn that way. All right, there are the seven ways that those of us who are leaders and influencers think backwards. Just like that airplane, when it went into a spin, I needed to function in a counterintuitive way to recover from the spin. Now, thankfully, I have not had very many of those experiences since, (laughs) but I do practice it mentally all the time. There we go. I hope you're having a great day. I'm looking forward to visiting with you again next time. Take care. And I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but you may want to check out our YouTube channel that has this kind of information, lots of helpful tips for folks who are in leadership, management, supervisory positions, or if you're an influencer of people daring folks to do great things. Check us out on YouTube. It's the HILT, H-I-L-T, Academy, High Impact Leadership Training Academy on YouTube. Some great stuff. Join us over there. Subscribe when you get there. That is back ass word. <laughs>